Hi, this is Jordan with Spafford, and the podcast you are listening to is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about artists and topics you love. They'll be doing many live events this summer around the country, which will include artist interviews, contests, and more. Sign up for the newsletter at OsirisPod.com to stay in the loop. You're listening to Inside Out with... Turner. And Seth and folks, we got a special one for you. This is one of our check-in tweeners with Robert Walter. Rob Turner, fill us in. Well, first of all, been a fan of Robert's for a long time. Wonderful organist, uh, founding member of the Great Boy All-Stars. Started his own Robert Walter's 20th Congress just under 20 years ago. And this new record, though, harkens back to his obsession of science fiction when he was a, when he was a child. And we have a little chat and we talk about that. But I'd like to talk about the Royal Potato family. That is the label that put this out. Mm-hmm. Before you, before Kevin. you do, before you do, Go folks, ahead. listen. This is an, we are going to be doing an exclusive track. Stick around right. towards the end of this episode. We're doing an exclusive track uh, off his album. Sorry, Rob. Go ahead. No, you're right. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. But it was founded by Kevin Calabro and Marco Benavento just under a decade ago. They have Lucas Nelson, Promise of the Real. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. Seth just uh, interviewed Lucas. They've been not only backing up Neil Young, but they're such Neil Young fans. They've been working up Neil Young songs and getting them to bust him, bust them out. And Lucas uh, has he, has such a wonderful voice. He is so reminiscent of his father. It's amazing. But he he's awesome. If you haven't checked Lucas out, I highly recommend it. Go ahead, Rob. Great guitars, great band. New Master Sounds, our our most recent uh, episode. As of this recording, uh, with, with Eddie Roberts of New Wait Mexico. a second, Eddie Roberts Walter. <laughs> it's kind of all flows together. We got to like tag it so the next interview is with someone that you know Walter something. You know, just keep it going. Walter Cronkite and the Cronkite article. I don't know. You got it. <laughs> Other previous guests, American Babies, our boy Tom Hamilton. They're on this label. Nathan Moore, one of my favorites. Future guests for sure. Right, Seth? Yeah, I hope so. Nathan's a uh, pirate, if you will. He uh, holds fort on Jam Cruise at a place called The Spot, which is sort of an oasis from the party side of things where the listeners go to get away from it all and just kind of listen for a little bit before you go back to the costume central. Um, uh, Mike, Mike Dillon, his own projects, his Dead Kennedys, and, of course, a, show, a band we've talked about since our very first episode, Nola Tet. They're on. They have a wonderful record there on this. Lee, Lee Ronaldo. Oh, oh, excuse me. No, they also have a, have a, um, a record that is a tribute to Leonard Cohen, look for it. Richard Thompson's on it. Lee Ronaldo of Sonic Youth, a famous blue raincoat. Uh, Lenny Kay of the Patti Smith Band and R.E.M. Uh, Josh Ritter. It's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful collection of covers. But anyways, let's get to Robert Walter, Seth. Let's. Uh, so what we're going to do first, uh, we're going to go ahead and dial him up. Let's see if he's available. And if he is, folks, you're in for a treat. And if he's not... Well, I guess it's a good thing we record this, right, Rob? <laughs> yes. Well, grayboyallstars.com, they have a new record also that will be coming soon. It's all recorded and ready to go. Uh, they're playing at Hardly Strictly Bluegrass in October, and they're going to do one San Diego gig. That's it for the books. And, and uh, go to Robert. Uh, this, this band that just recorded this record, go to robertwalter.com. They're doing a, a few shows in Colorado, and then that's it for a while. So see them while you can. But then next year, both will be touring extensively. And if you're still listening... I'm just kidding. Of course, you're still listening. Oh, they're, oh, they're still listening. Folks, uh, here we yeah, go. We're going to go ahead and get right into it, but I do want to give a shout-out to our next week's episode. Uh, we're going to return on Wednesday, a week from today, uh, with our full episode uh, featuring Nick from Big Something with Voodoo Visionaries. Go ahead, Rob. 
Uh, it's a wonderful episode. Uh, it's kind of interesting that the, the, some of the questions Mike asks, you know, and it's two bands at different um, times in their career and two, a guy from each band. It's really cool. And it's in advance of the Big What, which is their big festival. And hopefully uh, Voodoo Visionary and Big Something will collaborate there. Before we go to the interview, Royal Potato Company, uh, at royalpotatofamily.com and at Royal Potato on Twitter. Check them out. Please support that label. Wonderful. They're doing wonderful things. All right. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dial Robert. have on the phone the fo- a founding member of Grey Boy All-Stars and Robert Walters 20th Congress and art a band that is nearing 20 years of existence and September 21 you come out with a record called Spacesuit Robert that for Robert Walter the musician is kind of a new direction but Robert Walter the man is kind of bringing it all back home to your childhood obsession with sci-fi right yep that's right um yeah i i just i felt like um I've been making a lot of all my records in the past have been sort of influenced more by my record collection. And this time around, I kind of went back into, you know, my comic book collection. <laughs> <laughs> and did this documentary inspire you to do so? This Jodorowsky's Dune, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, I've always, I don't know if you're pronouncing it right. I can't, I'm, I hate when I'm, I have to say it because I might get it wrong too. Well, but, um, chances but, are it's not. <laughs> Yeah, it might be Hordoaski. Anyway, um, but yeah, that film, um, it just, it, that was inspiring all around. I've always loved his films. And, um, I, you know, I watched El Topo when I was younger and The Holy Mountain was a big fan of those. But, but, um, but watching that documentary just got me kind of, you know, it's so, there's so much imagination involved. And, um, um, you know, it, it, anybody I know who's an artist that watched that gets pretty stoked. You know, it's it's it makes you it makes you want to create something. And in case people don't know, it's a documentary about a sci-fi film that didn't happen that would have had Mick Jagger, Orson Welles, and Salvador Dali in it with Pink Floyd doing part of the soundtrack. Yeah, that's right. And then you know the big designers on it were um, were Mobius and um, um, uh, H.R. Giger, you know, who did that. Who also designed uh, Alien from Alien, hmm. and um, there was a bunch of great designers involved that end up going on and, and designing a lot of what we think of as like classic 70s science fiction um, people who ended up having an influence on Star Wars and Alien and all those movies sort of uh, were cutting their teeth working on the designs for this film which was ended up being overly ambitious and sort of t- too complex to, to actually make but and is that the same reason why is that the same reason why it's taking so long for you to uh, go in this direction to uh, release such an album? <laughs> Maybe that and distractions of all the other bands, but um, <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, it was a, it was a slow process. Like I started sort of knocking around these ideas a couple years ago and working on tunes, and somehow all the teams started. Uh, this wasn't a particular direction at the beginning, but things started to fall together, and and these influences, the tunes I ended up liking, were sort of in this 
in this bag of things. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, and on that note, we're actually um, debuting one of your uh, songs here on the show right after we talk with you. And, Most um, of all of us. Oh, great, great. Yeah, so uh, I want to talk a little bit about, about about that track. Well, I'd first like to talk about the musicians you're playing with, because Simon Lott, the drummer, who's uh, of a New Orleans heritage, he's really on display in this track. Would you not uh, agree? He does a lot of really tasty adornments, but never loses the pocket whatsoever. I told him to play sort of as crazy as he wanted to on this one, because it's it's based upon a sort of an ostinato um, that keeps going. It's, it actually sort of reminded me of, of Bob O'Reilly by The Who or one of those things with like a sort of a sequencer track in the back. And then, um, you know, I said, think about Ginger Baker and Keith Moon and people like that, like go real crazy. So he, um, and he's good at playing sort of free across a, a rhythm like that. And after you build it beautifully and gradually, there there is kind of the one of the more, uh, toward the middle, one of the more traditional jazz kind of, leaning moments on the record would you not agree yeah it's it starts off as sort of like an epic um grandiose kind of like organ rock thing and then it ends up being a free improvisation like i said we're in c let's go so everything after after the head is sort of completely free which is interesting because you talk about how this band came together and or on some of the stuff i've been reading that they were really recontextualizing your old material in interesting ways too. And then you were trying to write material that were sort of launching pads for them. And so would this song be an ultimate example of it? And even though stop starts at the end, all of that was completely spontaneous. Yeah. I just, I, I, I wanted to not tell him, I didn't want to write so much music that they didn't allow the band to be free, but I wanted to give people like something to inspire. So basically like the head just gets you in the mood to do something. But we're not even playing on a form at, at the end. We just sort of go, and the harmony kind of pushes around. And yeah, the, it, it, sometimes we fall off the tracks a little bit and find our way back. So that's all. Yeah, that's all just sort of purely improvised. So now, when you look at and that, many, take, when you look at taking that song on the road, uh, I imagine that song is going to evolve at almost every single show and be a little different. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. We haven't played it out yet. Um, the, the, the head and the front end of it a little production intensive. There's a lot of keyboard overdubs, so I have to figure out how to make everything happen. Um, but I, I think that's going to be a great opportunity for some interesting things to happen. Well, there were a couple other songs on the record that I, I wanted to talk to you about because I thought they also would sound good on the road. But before that, I'd mentioned that Current Futures you've already released, I think via Relics, and uh, that that uh, had maybe your strongest dub reggae-leaning track on, on the record. Yep. yep. You always had a dub reggae love? I've always loved it, and I've always collected records. I have tons of dub records, and it's something I go back to a lot. I also kind of became fascinated with what you call crap rock, like all that sort of minimal German progressive rock, uh, you know, can and even craft work, stuff like that. Um, so, and to me, they're kind of related, even though uh, rhythmically different, just the, the sort of use of silence and subtractive composition you know what artists are considered like cutting edge in crap rock today i mean crap works the name that's always thrown around yeah i think it's really more of a 70s phenomenon um i don't know that there's anybody who's doing it exactly today there's people that are influenced by it but but you know the classic can is really the one that really got me going um because they were influenced by james brown but doing it in a completely different way um 
So, um, you know, that, that music got me really stoked. And then the other single before this one was Nerva and Gumbo, which showcases your roads playing, right? And it's named after a couple of experimental NASA rockets? Yes. <laughs> I was just looking for um, sort of evocative space-themed things <laughs> to title <laughs> tunes. So I was just finding interesting words that, that I found evocative from reading about the space program and a lot of science fiction and just sort of finding... I've made long lists of, of things I, I felt... You know, so there's no real you know, literal storyline to any of this. They're just kind of impressions and ideas of things I thought sounded, um, you know, mysterious and evocative. And it's interesting. I, I did a lot of times I, I saw that uh, Royal Potato is releasing this album with a prize. And um, now I know what the prize is. You know, Rob, remember the astronaut ice cream? It's either going to be that or Pop Rocks that you're going to get. Every every <laughs> album's going to come with one. That's, that's a great idea. I actually Careful, love that. I, astronaut ice cream is delicious. <laughs> How does, it, how does it make your mouth feel wet? It's when you eat the driest thing, it, it automatically feels wet when you eat it, right? This is true. Point taken. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, if you only ate astronaut ice cream, maybe it would have saved your marriage. <laughs> All right, my two tracks that I think will be great live. First, Chalk Giant. I love the way the guitar and keyboard tones uh, meld, and there's the, the driving rhythm of it. it Seem like it's going to be like maybe even a set closer, and it leads to Chris Alford, who I believe you found, your guitarist. I believe you found him through Simon? Yeah, they play a lot together in New Orleans, and, um, and Simon was like, you got to check out my friend Chris, so that's how that happened. Uh, we did play that, um, we played that during Jazz Fest this year in New Orleans. Back in uh, end of April. How many of these songs have you played live? We played, we played about half of them so far, but mm, but only a couple times. Are the seeds of any of them from you listening to your own improvisation and lifting things that came up spontaneously, lifting riffs and building songs around them? Not so much. I've written that way in the past, where I listen to live tapes and I find a little loop of something. But these are actually all. They're sort of written as compositions, and then I, I would just, on the demo, I'd leave a big open space where there's no information, and then whatever happened in the studio happened. And, and, and on that note, taking uh, talking about tour and whatnot, I mean, you're touring with, um, with Mike Gordon. How's that influenced your, uh, your approach to this new album? He definitely made me feel like um, less restricted by genre. Where in the past maybe I would be like, well, this stuff is maybe not, not funk leaning enough, not referential to like, you know, '60s records, which is always my thing. Like, you know, there's definitely more synthesizers and, you know, bizarro uh, sounds because I just feel a little bit liberated from my old like retro funk bag that I was, you know, in for so long. Not that I don't love that music still, but it just, you know, Mike so. Um, fearless in his his uh creative process you know anything anything that he thinks is cool to him at the time he'll use he's not thinking about like um well what what is this in relation to my past work or yeah you know it's very mm -hmm. free that way so so he's just inspiring and then, and then that band improvises at least you know we really depart from the song sometimes i don't even remember what song we're in um <laughs> when we're playing live so so that that inspired me too to like let it go there let, let the band really play do you do any 
improvisational exercises in, during rehearsals for that band? Um, with Mike, yeah, for sure. We do all these, like, we'll do, like, little listening exercises where we you either try and play back what someone else played or try and never play what they played. And, <laughs> um, um, you know, try and vary every once in a while or sometimes we try and not vary at all that's always a great exercise it becomes almost like a a prayer or mantra or something if you if you just create a bar of music and keep playing it for long enough it forces everyone to listen in a little bit deeper way and think less about like what fancy thing they're going to play next does the material ever not make sense to you at first until you actually sit down and and get it together rehearsing wise because it's so uh, angular so odd um you know what he brings forth yeah i mean there's definitely times where i've heard a new piece of mike's music and, and thought like how is this possibly going to work when you're listening to his like home demos or, or something there's there you know and he'll draw from various sources so there'd be like rehearsal from somewhere and something at home he made and something that him scott had worked on so the fidelity of the recordings is all over that place but for some reason, once you get it with the band, it, it always makes sense. You know? He's he's real good at seeing, like imagining what it'll be like. Mm -hmm. But like trapezoidal sunshine, was there a learning curve in in that? Like, what 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 are some of the more difficult songs to that's play? A, that's a pretty odd piece. The, the hardest thing we've probably done with this band was this tune called Daisy Hill Grove. We were playing it live for a while, and we haven't done it lately. But I'd love to bring it back. But that has a million different sections and. You know, now, a lot of events that happen only once in the song. It's a little bit hard to remember, but it's good. Trapezoidal, I love, too. That became, like, just a fun place to jam. Well, begging your indulgence, we've just had Carl Denson on your on our show. We would be remiss if we didn't ask you about him. You've known him for so long. Can you can you talk about how your relationship has evolved, and can you talk about how you felt when you heard he got that job with the Rolling Stones? Oh, yeah, that's crazy, right? Um, you know, he was, he was my friend the first like great musician that I was around a lot. When we first started Grey Boy, I was very green, very like much a beginner. I'd been playing drums for years and I just sort of gotten back into playing keyboard seriously. Um, and, um, and I wanted to become a jazz musician, but I was just figuring it out and Carl really could play. And he was sort of like my musical father figure and, and really talked to me a lot about music that he was liking and, how to develop your solo and how to, you know, take your time when you're playing and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so, you know, he was very formative to me and I always was like on this thing of, he was kind of like the litmus test for, for, you know, for playing. And I wanted to someday get where I could hang with them. I feel like I've, I've grown up enough where we're like having a real conversation now and I'm not just <laughs> trying to try and impress him. But, um, but at first, for, for many years, it was that way. It was like, oh, well, okay, Carl's going to play now, so listen to what he's doing. Um, and then, you know, he's also, you know, he's a good jazz musician, but he is a, he's a great um, rock and roll saxophone player, you mm -hmm. know, from his stuff with Lenny Kravitz. He's got a way of, you know... Uh, Let's not forget his fine work fun. with sexual chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's fun to listen to. You know what I mean? It's not a chore. You don't feel like you're going to school. Even though he plays a lot of sophisticated stuff, it's not like, you know, I don't know. He, I, I think he understands why the saxophone's there and what it can do for the music. So he's a great, uh, he's a great athlete in a rock and roll band. And what better gig than to 
being a Rolling Stone. And, and, a, and a hell of a band leader. I mean, that's I, I've always noticed he's always really uh, set people on their path and, and is just a healthy, good person. Yeah, well, speaking- a, lot of, a lot of good people have come through his band and you know, done things on their own, so yeah, he's great. And speaking to that, when, when you go into the studio to help him out on New Ammo, to what extent is he saying, can you go for this kind of feel or that kind of feel? And to what extent is he saying, listen and just give play what you feel? Um, I like to think that I usually come in as like the stunt keyboard player and he kind of lets me go. <laughs> you know, so he'll be like, you know, go crazy or not. You know, one on that tune, we did, we did a tune called Elephants of His. It's sort of a uh, Afrobeat influenced tune. And he said to try and play like Fela, like try and play like not a keyboard player so much and play more visceral, you know. All right, well, but, um, I... but, but he usually lets me go, you know. Now, listen, Robert, Two we uh, we're... go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, we haven't talked about your uh, your bassist yet. I was pretty impressed. Victor Little has worked with uh, two of the greats, Billy Preston and Charlie Musselwhite. Is that right? Um, yeah, I, I believe that's true. Um, and I think he played with Booker T a little bit too, and Angela Bofill maybe. But he's he's done a lot of stuff. And is it right? And no, he just, no, there's no uh, ahead, there's no Kochimi uh, on this album, right? Is he he's not playing with you on this no, one? No Chimmy on this album. It just didn't work out. Um, you know, me and him have had a long relationship, and I always kind of thought as of Twenty Congress as being my band with him. But over the years, you know, he he was playing with Sharon Jones for a long time, and. He, He's been doing all kinds of session stuff, and he's in New York, and I'm on the West Coast. So we get together when we can, but um, but we haven't been working together much lately. And I wanted a band that I could tour this record with. Uh huh. Um, so so it sort of just developed like we had been touring with this current quartet, and Jimmy couldn't do the gigs because he was working elsewhere and whatever else. So I just sort of wanted to do a record where it wasn't like a totally different band than the, than the touring band keep some consistency to, to the live show, you know? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Rob. Well, we, we want to have you on for a full interview sometime, talk about your film score work, talk about Michael Anders, talk about the time when I was working for a radio program and we had a cancellation last minute. You came over and helped us in a big, big way. You're a very, very kind soul. But we're going to end well, by returning well, well, the record. We'll also talk about uh, uh, Dr. Lonnie Smith and, and also how Robert Walter uh, has a great way of finding shelter during hurricanes. But uh, all, <laughs> all when we sit down next time when you're in Atlanta. <laughs>